So, what'd you shoot? This might be the most common and quite possibly the dumbest question in golf. Sure, your score is the ultimate goal, but every golfer knows that number only tells a fraction of the story. Sometimes you feel like you played great, but the score says otherwise. Sometimes your round of the year comes on a day when you fought your swing. The conditions of the golf course, the wind, good breaks, bad breaks, how everyone is playing. Heck, if the snack bar was open at the turn, there are countless factors that a simple 18-hole score can't quite capture, which is just as true at the highest level of golf, except for maybe the snack bar part. Because while we have long had the ability to watch the world's best players in person or on TV, it's only recently when golf analysts and fans have figured out how to properly evaluate their performance. For example, consider Ken Duke at the 2016 Players' Championship. On a Saturday that was one of the toughest scoring days in tournament history, the journeyman fired a third round 65 that vaulted him 54 spots on a stacked leaderboard. What course was Ken Duke playing today? Can anyone tell? Was he playing across the road? I mean, sitting there looking at his score is just amazing. You won't see the accomplishment on any of the PGA Tour's defining moments commercials for the tournament, like Tiger Woods' famed snaking birdie putt on the 17th hole in 2001. Yet Duke's score wasn't just better than most. It was better than all at the Tour's flagship event. Ever. I'm Alex Myers, and this is Local Knowledge, where we take a deep dive into some of golf's most compelling stories. On this episode, we're going to examine one of the PGA Tour's greatest and most underappreciated rounds of golf by not only looking at the circumstances behind it, but also how we've come to measure such performances more precisely than ever before. We'll talk to the man behind that round, as well as his playing partner who can attest firsthand how improbable the score was. And we'll also explore the advanced metrics that show precisely why it was such a great round by speaking with Columbia Business School professor Mark Brody, the creator of Strokes Gained. These statistics have revolutionized how fans and players appreciate and even approach the game. Here's how Brody puts Duke 65 into historical context. Well, at at the players, um, since 1983, there is about 16,000 rounds. And so this was the best strokes gained round uh, out of 16,000, which puts it at the 99.994th percentile, which is incredible. How could a 65 be the best out of 16,000 rounds? And in the 99.994th percentile of all PGA Tour rounds in the Tour's database? After all, there have been plenty of lower scores in players' history. And on the PGA Tour overall, we've seen an increasing number of players break the 60 barrier. We'll explain that part in a bit. But first, let's revisit Duke's incredible day that gave him a cult following on golf Twitter. Because how in the world did Ken Duke pull that off is also a legitimate question. On the morning of Saturday, May 14, 2016, Ken Duke still wasn't even assured that he would play a third round of TPC Sawgrass. Due to play being suspended the day before with Duke right on the cut line, The then 47-year-old had to get up early to play the final three holes of his second round. He needed an up and down for par from 30 yards short of the green on number seven to stay inside the number, then made a solid par in the long par three eighth. A birdie on number nine moved him one shot clear at three under to secure another tee time. What came next? Well, no one saw coming. It was just one of those days that, um, you know, and I've always believed this, and and I, I tell so many young kids, if you're in the event, 
there's a chance that you can shoot around like that. Playing the weekend in golf's unofficial fifth major was a successful feat in itself for Duke that week. At an age where the PGA Tour champion starts to creep into most golfers' heads, he was also working his way back on a major medical exemption after breaking his wrist in a freak accident while watching his daughter's volleyball practice the previous September. A former Division II golfer, Duke didn't make it to the PGA Tour until he was 34. And even after winning his lone PGA Tour title at the 2013 Travelers Championship, he arrived at TPC Sawgrass that week as the 495th ranked player in the world. On that Saturday, however, no one was better. Playing with James Hahn and John Curran, Duke teed off the back nine with virtually no one watching. The winds were up a bit, but nothing crazy for Pontevedra Beach. What was crazy? The green speeds. They were going to tear the greens up on that Monday anyway. Right. So they kind of let the greens go. And, <laughs> and after we finished our round on Saturday, they re-rolled them. And no one, no rules official told us about that until after the fact on Sunday morning. That's Duke referring to the tour's decision to redo all of the greens at TPC Sawgrass's stadium course following the tournament. With no need to worry about the putting surface's health after Sunday, they were watered sparingly following two days of record low scoring. The slick surfaces combined with the wind and some tricky pin positions caused a third round scoring average of 75.59. After two days in which the field was a cumulative 272 strokes under par, those who made the cut were a combined 273 strokes over par on Saturday. The first two days, the stadium course yielded two course record tying 63s. Today, however, the golf course is the one flexing its muscles. There were also 149 three putts, the most recorded in a single round at the players ever. And again, this was with only half the field playing. But Duke managed to avoid any three putts that day. And while he may not have been aware the tour re-rolled the already crispy greens in between rounds, it took one putt when Han rolled a flat 10-footer for birdie some eight feet past the cup for the group to realize they were in for a rough day. Here's how Han recalls the course conditions. Uh, so I do remember uh, the greens being probably the fastest and firmest that I've ever seen any golf course. Uh, the greens were probably uh, rolled twice, cut twice every day. Um, they were letting them go because they were putting in new greens the following year. You know, all in all, I, I just remember them being almost impossible to putt on. Almost is the key word there, because for whatever reason, Duke didn't find the situation impossible. He made a five-footer for par on number 10, missed a seven-footer for par on 11, and then putted brilliantly the rest of the way, while almost everyone else around him struggled. Look at those circles all in a row. Ken Duke moving up the board. Duke says the key shot from that day was a chip from right of the 18th green to about three feet. He converted the ticklish par putt, made the turn at one under, and then really got hot with five consecutive birdies on holes three through seven. I believe after 10 or 12 holes, um, no one really was, was talking to him anymore because uh, you didn't want to distract him. You know, we were just trying to stay out of his way. I mean, granted that I'm competing out there and trying to do my best, but we were trying to stay out of his way because we felt like he had something special going on that day. Duke knew as well. After all, a 65 at the treacherous peak die design is always a great score. But shortly after birding the ninth hole for the second time that day to close out his round, he began to realize he had pulled off something truly rare. I didn't really know. I didn't know until the very end that 
I sure I, I shot a great score. Right. But I did not know that it was that good. It was just a great round of golf. And till I got to the end, everybody's freaking out. <laughs> Look what you shot. What are you playing? And you know, Jason was giving me a hard time. Rory was giving me a hard time. Shane Lowry. I mean, what where were you playing? I just didn't know. Uh, until the media started asking, hey, we need to talk to you. And then they started telling me I beat the field by over 10 strokes. I did not know that until the very end. I was just trying to play and trying to move up the board. And, and that's about the extent of it. The Jason he's referring to, of course, is Jason Day. The Aussie was in the midst of winning a staggering 7 of 17 starts on the PGA Tour and had tied the course record with a 63 just two days before. But after shooting 73, Day declared that Duke 65 should be considered the course record. And he wasn't kidding. And that's the thing about the PGA Tour. When you play a good round, the guys respect it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the pretty cool thing about it. But what made Duke's round so special? Thanks to strokes gained, we now know. Essentially, the stat measures how many strokes a player gains or loses relative to the rest of the field for each shot or putt he hits. And it's the brainchild of Columbia professor Mark Brody. An avid golfer, Brody realized there was a void in advanced stats for golf, one that was being filled in other sports like baseball following Michael Lewis's best-selling book, Moneyball, which examined how the Oakland A's and general manager Billy Bean used non-traditional stats to exploit market inefficiencies. Brody eventually wrote his own essential book for golf fans titled Every Shot Counts. But this huge shift in quantifying performance began with him wanting to publish a paper on the subject. I think there was a lot of uh, luck involved. It wasn't like I sat down and said, I want to invent strokes gained. It was more a long process of gathering amateur data and trying to figure out answers to questions like, if a player could hit the ball 20 yards further, what would happen to their score? Mm -hmm. And then at some point I got access to the PGA tour data and you could analyze similar questions. What separates a golfer who shoots 90 from a golfer who shoots 80 and where do those strokes come from? What separates an average PGA tour player from a great PGA tour player? Where do those strokes come from? And so in trying to answer those questions, if you take a look at, greens and regulation or fairways hit or, or putts, there is no way you can, you can answer uh, questions like, like that. Brody also says it wouldn't have been possible if the PGA Tour hadn't created ShotLink in the early 2000s. A complex system involving lasers and tournament volunteers who need to be trained, the Tour created ShotLink to more accurately measure where golf shots were going. Until then, everything was just eyeballed. Wanting a more accurate putting stat than the antiquated putts per round or putts per greens of regulation, the tour tasked Brody with developing the metric for performance on the greens. After working with a team from MIT led by Professor Stephen Graves to further analyze the new formula, strokes gain putting was unveiled to the public during the 2011 PGA Tour season. And it was this trove of info that Brody was able to use to create strokes gain and establish benchmarks based on millions of shots and putts. For instance, on average, a PGA Tour pro is expected to need 1.55 strokes to get his ball in the hole on an eight-foot putt. That means if he only takes one putt to do it, he's gained 0.55 strokes on the field. But if he misses and needs two putts, then he's lost 0.45 strokes. A three-putt from that distance would result in a player losing 1.45 strokes. And at any point during a round, 
the addition of these positive and negative numbers equals how much a player is gaining or losing relative to the field. Eventually, Brody convinced the tour that strokes gain could be used for all other facets of the game, and in 2016, strokes gain total was released. This took into account strokes gain putting, but also strokes gained off the tee, on approach shots, and around the greens. If you add up the results from those four categories, you get a player's total strokes gained. In Duke's case, he did most of his damage on those difficult greens that day by gaining 4.7 strokes for the round, which easily led the field. But he was great across the board, ranking 5th in strokes gained approach at 2.9, 4th in around the green at 2.3, and 13th in off the tee at 0.7, not too shabby for a 47-year-old with a recovering wrist. Add it all up, and you get 10.6 strokes gained total, which means he gained a staggering 10.6 shots on the field that day, or 10.59 strokes to be exact. And thanks to Brody's formula, that equals how much his 65 beat the average score that day of 75.59. How's that for some slick math? That's one of the really nice features of this is you can see where different parts of the game contribute to the the total, whereas fairways hit. Yeah. Right? He... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you 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 add up you add up his fairways and you say okay he had uh, he had ten ten out of fourteen fairways and he had thirteen out of eighteen greens in regulation. Yeah. What is what does that tell you? It doesn't add up to anything. It doesn't. And the main problem with driving distance and fairways hits and greens in regulation is they're not in units of strokes. Strokes gained is breaking down your score, your strokes into its different components. Right. And that's that's really nice and that's you know why it adds up the way it does. According to Brody, Duke's round ranks as the eighth best overall round on the PGA Tour in the strokes gained era, which dates back to 2004 and the first accurate batch of shot link data. For a variety of reasons, including the fact that strength of field isn't considered, you can make a case it should be ranked even higher. Duke says he's never thought about strokes gained, but he knew pretty quickly his round was an anomaly. After all, that Saturday 65 moved him up from a tie for 56th place into a tie for second place. He also beat his two third round playing partners by a combined 28 shots, as both Han and Curran shot 79. Having barely broken 80 while witnessing Duke's round in person, Han certainly won't forget it. I feel like his round is, is very underrated, um, mainly because it was a 65 at the Players' Championship. And we've seen 65s before, and no one really understands or knows how difficult the scoring conditions were that day, um, except for the players. And so the players will probably respect it as one of the best rounds ever on the PGA Tour. But uh, to the normal fan, they will have no idea what happened that day. But even the normal fan can better understand it thanks to strokes gained, which adjusts at the end of each round based on the day's results. For that particular round, there was a two-shot adjustment just for putting meaning the average player needed two more putts than usual, a jarring increase. Most of these adjustments for putting are less than a half a stroke. And so this is enormous. This is way, way out in, in, in the tail as far as uh, adjustments. So yeah, these have to have been some of the most difficult greens to putt ever. If you're going to gamble on golf, you may as well do it right. And for any golf fan who's curious about betting on golf but hasn't gotten serious about it, we have the podcast for you. 
Be Right is Golf Digest weekly gambling podcast featuring the latest PGA Tour intel and picks from an expert panel that is up nearly 300 units this season. That's a gambling term, by the way. With thoughts from some of fantasy sports' brightest minds and even an anonymous tour caddy at our side, we've done our best to turn betting on golf into a science to help you make money off golf. While we can't promise that you'll come out ahead every week, we can guarantee you'll be well-informed and entertained along the way. So stop doing golf wagers wrong and join us on Be Right. The fact that Ken Duke authored the greatest round ever at the Players' Championship and is in the conversation of the greatest rounds in PGA Tour history might surprise many. But take a look at these lists, and you realize there are a lot of golfers capable of greatness, at least for one day. After all, these guys are good. These guys are all good. But since 1983 at the Players' Championship, Duke's round ranks first, followed by Davis Love III, 64 in 2003. That score gained 9.9 strokes on the field, or .59 less than Duke. Of course, that round in rainy and windy conditions also gained Love a trophy. So which is actually the better round is really in the eye of the beholder, since strokes gained doesn't factor in pressure situations. At least, not yet. Funny enough, Jason Day was really onto something with his course record comment. The 63 that he shot in the first round in 2016, under easy scoring conditions, doesn't even crack the top 20 rounds in tournament history, nor does the 63 shot by Colt Nost in the second round that year. Meanwhile, Duke 65 tops the list, and Hideki Matsuyama 67 in that brutal third round comes in 14th. As for the greatest rounds of the Shotlink era in all PGA Tour events, Jim Furyk's 59 at the 2013 BMW Championship, not his 58 at the 2016 Travelers, leads the way. Furyk gained a ridiculous 12.086 strokes on the field with his first sub-60 score. His 58 ranks seventh, one spot above Duke's 65, which came three months earlier. Duke's 65 is also the only score above 63 on the list, a testament to how difficult TPC Sawgrass played that Saturday. That top 10 list includes some big names like Rory McIlroy and Vijay Singh, and some not-so-big names like Peter Lonard, Paul Goidos, and, well, Ken Duke. But dig deeper into these stats, and finding surprising names pulling off strokes gained accomplishments becomes less surprising, particularly when it comes to putting. For example, there are probably just a handful of people who know that Denny McCarthy led the PGA Tour in strokes gained putting the past two seasons. It's possible Denny McCarthy himself doesn't know that. Because even with all that great putting, he's finished 111th and 73rd in the FedEx Cup standings those two years, somewhat dispelling the old axiom that tour pros drive for show and putt for dough. That's not to say putting isn't still a critical part of the game, though. After all, as Brody reminded me, the title of his book is Every Shot Counts. That's also not to say that the best players can't also be the best putters. Take Tiger Woods, who led the tour in strokes gained putting in 2004, the first year the stat goes back to, and who consistently finished in the top 10. Or Jason Day, who holds the single-season record in the category by gaining 1.13 strokes per round in the 2015-2016 season, when he took over the top spot in the world ranking and won the Players' Championship in which Duke authored his career best round. As Brody explains, there's a lot more variability from week to week and even year to year when it comes to putting than hitting full shots. Take a guy like Jordan Spieth, most people pointed to his putting, specifically from long range, as fueling his historic 2015 season, in which he won two majors and seriously contended in the other two. 
but Spieth actually putted significantly better during the 2018-2019 season, in which he ranked number two in the stat and didn't win anywhere. The main difference between his decline in tournament results? Spieth dropped to 145th in strokes gained approach in 2018-2019, down from number 11 in 2015 when he was world number one. So you can think of the putting as sort of separating. It's the separating factor that, yeah, when you look at the winner, in the week they win, chances are they putted great. <laughs> right. right. Um, because you've got to beat all these other great players, and that's sort of the last thing that's going to, to separate coming in first from you know, coming, coming in 10th. And as we saw with Ken Duke at the 2016 players, a hot putter can turn a good day into a historic round. I joked about Denny McCarthy possibly not even knowing the extent of his own putting prowess, but actually there's a very good chance he is aware. Strokes gain hasn't just become a standard part of PGA Tour TV broadcasts. These stats have also greatly affected the players themselves. More than ever, players and their teams pore over numbers in an attempt to find ways to get an edge on the competition. In recent years, ShotLink and Strokes Gained have helped usher in an era of more aggressive on-course strategy by providing proof that laying up isn't as smart as it's been traditionally portrayed. PGA Tour pros rarely think twice about going for a reachable par 5 and 2, or taking cracks at drivable par 4s like the famed 10th at Riviera. More than that, though, Tour pros have tools at their disposal to better focus how they practice when trying to improve their games. And Brody has become a central figure in that process. Oh, it's, it's incredibly fun and cool. Not, nothing that I would have uh, imagined uh, starting out, but uh, I've you know, now spoken to many players and coaches and, and caddies and you know, all, all the names that, you could, that yeah. you could imagine. And I'd say I probably talked to more of them than, than I haven't. One specific example is Justin Rose, who came to Brody in 2016 with the goal of getting to world number one. At the time, the Englishman was ranked 15th, but Brody quickly determined he was one of the poorer putters on tour from short to mid-range. Zero to six feet, he went He went from losing strokes yeah. to gaining three-tenths of a stroke around, and from seven to, 20 week, seven to 21 feet, he went from zero to gaining two-tenths. Wow. So he was about six-tenths better, and that was enough to get him to number one in the world. Of course, you have to maintain your strengths. You can't right. just <laughs> let, let your strengths go go away. Right. That that doesn't make sense, but it's, it gives you like this, this microscope or this magnifying lens to be able to, you know, hone in on, you know, the, the parts of the game that are most likely to improvements. there are most likely to bring you the biggest bang for the buck. Of course, the poster child for using advanced stats to improve is Bryson DeChambeau. Seeing what stroke gains and increase in driving distance would yield, DeChambeau embarked on a different type of gains at the end of 2019, adding some 40 pounds of muscle. His bold experiment worked as he led the tour in strokes gained off the tee and wound up winning his first major at the 2020 U.S. Open. You know, I believe in the value of analytics in golf and analytics in sports. So when I see these analytic success stories, yeah. um, you know, I, I love it. Uh, so it's, you know, changing changing people's minds slowly but surely from this sort of old style thinking to to new ways and i people say well don't, don't you think that makes that detracts from the game i said no no I, I think it's it's more fun and interesting to see people yeah. um learning stuff 
and taking the game in, in directions that maybe weren't thought possible a few years ago. But golf was in a statistical dark age for a long time. As a result, the timing of strokes gained also creates some interesting what-if scenarios to ponder. Maybe Adam Scott would have never wound up anchoring his putter if he knew he was actually ranked number two in strokes gained putting in 2004. Maybe Tiger Woods wouldn't have complained of a wipey swing and moved on from Hank Haney if he realized he was third in strokes gained off the tee in 2006 and led the tour by miles in strokes gained approach from 2006 to 2009. And maybe someone else would have beaten Bryson to all that weight gain. Strokes gain doesn't factor in pressure situations, strength of field, or even the particulars of a certain putt. Not all eight-footers are created the same after all. Although Brody concedes this and says he is still looking into making the stat even more accurate by studying green contours, he also doesn't feel it would make much of a difference. Much in the same way Moneyball posits that over a large enough sample size, those other things even out for everyone. Those can matter, but they're improving things at the margin. And it doesn't matter if you measure every eight-foot putt uh, more precisely if everybody has about the same frequency of uphill, side hill, and downhill eight-footers. There are also still PGA Tour events and certain courses that haven't been equipped for shot link. And unfortunately, major championships have been slow to use it as well, meaning the data for full season stats remains incomplete. But while strokes gained isn't perfect, it's by far golf's best analytical tool. Instead of guessing how long a putt facing a tour pro is, announcers now have the ability to tell the viewer an exact length, and even what the probability of a make or a three putt is. Brody now teaches a course on sports analytics and compares strokes gained to things like run value added in baseball and expected points added in football. Those sports have experienced a battle between old school views and new numbers as well. But whether everyone is on board with advanced metrics, golf fans are certainly hearing about them more when they watch PGA Tour events on TV. Brody wishes announcers did a better job of explaining these new numbers and didn't continue to rely on older stats. He also hopes ShotLink and Strokes Gained will be available from all PGA Tour events in the near future, and that it will eventually expand to the European Tour and the LPGA. Still, he's happy with Strokes Gained's growing place in the game now that it's been around for more than a decade. I root for, uh, for better fan understanding and better yeah. understanding of what's going on. So the more, the more I hear uh, Strokes Gained, the better, because that's usually um, better than the alternative, which yeah. is, you know, player players in a bunker and he's uh, three out of five in sand saves this week. Well, that doesn't tell me hardly anything about what's going to happen here right, <laughs> in, right. in this particular this particular shot. As you've probably gathered by now, Ken Duke's Sunday at the 2016 players didn't provide quite the same magic as Saturday did although his even par 72 was enough for him to finish tied for third, far and away his best result at the event. Sadly for him, though, this would be his swan song at the tournament. Duke's high finish didn't guarantee him a spot in the following year's event, and neither did finishing in the top 125 on the money list, as the PGA Tour switched that year to using the top 125 on the FedEx Cup points list instead. Duke lobbied for an exception, but was turned down. And in a rare moment of consensus, Golf Twitter was disappointed when one of its heroes wasn't in the field the following year. Now 52 and playing on the PGA Tour champions, there's still an opportunity for Duke to get another crack at TPC Sawgrass, 
if he wins the Senior Players Championship. If it doesn't happen, though, he'll always have that Saturday in 2016. Obviously, winning at Hartford was special at a late age, but the round at the players uh, is what everybody talks about to me. Sure. Um, I just played a young kid the other day, and he said, you're the guy that shot 65 at the players in 2016. I said, yeah, I am. So um, that that stands out more than any. I mean, I think tournaments, everybody wins, and, you know, some member ones here and there, but this the players' championship, everybody's tuned in, just like they are the majors. And obviously this uh, – that round was the best one that everyone brings up. It's because of people bringing it up, in part, that Strokes Gained has gained more attention. 2016 was the first year that Strokes Gained Total was made public, and as mentioned, it allowed people to better understand not only how good of a round Duke has played, but why it had been so good. Since then, the term has become a much more common part of golf's lexicon, even influencing a tightly contested PGA Tour Player of the Year race in 2019. A bunch of different things contributed, Ken Duke's round being one, but the other is player of the year, Rory McIlroy, when he was in this tight rates with Brooks Kepka a couple years ago, and Rory won the player of the year, right. and a lot of people pointed to, you know, he had the best strokes gain total round since, you know, Tiger Woods quite a few right. years before, and that seemed to, to tip the, uh, the balance according to a couple of the players that were interviewed uh, later. So I think that sort of speaks to something like Justin Thomas, who has his goals for the end of the season. And a couple of them tend to be strokes gain goals. <laughs> so it's like, well, if he's going to make it a goal to have a strokes gain putting at least this or strokes gain tee to green, at least that um, all, all these things, I think, uh, bring strokes gain more into the conversation and consciousness Ken Duke will continue to be in the conversation anytime the Players' Championship rolls around, even if he'll probably never play in the event again. Until someone beats the field by more than 10.6 shots, the guy who needed more than a decade as a pro to make it to the PGA Tour will own statistically the best ever round at the Tour's flagship event. And if there was a strokes gained unlikely category, Duke would probably lead that too. But it's a big memory for me and, and to play in that round and and I think, you know, not just the next week it sunk in. I had a three and a half hour drive back down here to Stewart by myself. My family wasn't with me. And that's all I was thinking about. What did I just do? <laughs> I've been on a medical. I broke my wrist uh, watching my daughter play volleyball. It was just unbelievable. It was just unbelievable. And just soak it all in throughout those three and a half hours. Local Knowledge is produced by Gregory Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Wyman. Our music for today's episode is called Piano Man is Not Sam, and it's by Lobo Loco. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts. And check out Golf Digest's weekly gambling podcast, Be Right. Thank you.